you're listening to the We Are History podcast. I always laugh when I introduce it because regular listeners will know that it means John and I have just messed up counting backwards from five and clapping. Um, it's, 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 they didn't teach me that at school. It makes me laugh every time. Yeah, an interest in history should not involve counting backwards and clapping. That's too hard. What they've done, John, is they've taken a couple of nerds like us and expected us to be coordinated. It's never going to happen. I, I, always try and, anyway. I always try and do my five, four, three, two, one like Thunderbirds. <laughs> I'm picturing each Thunderbird oh, as I do it. Hence the pajamas. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay, fine. So this week, John, yes. we are going back to 1989. It's a huge um, subject. It's a huge. It's one. a big subject, and I think we we should make clear from the off that this is going to be very much an overview of a lot of things that happened in 1989. It's all about the sort of start of the fall of communism. Yes, really, in Eastern, in, Europe. In Eastern Europe. This is my area of nerdiness yeah i think both of us find this completely fascinating and it was an incredibly yeah. dramatic thing to to watch from western europe um yeah probably i would say the biggest political year in our lifetime for world events um absolutely i mean well there's also um 211 of course in the av referendum coming a close second there and, <laughs> oh yeah who can forget uh, 2019 joe swinson uh, <laughs> briefly lead with the liberal democrats that was a big one but i think probably 1989 at the end of the cold war it's it's a weird one because i mean what were you doing in 1989 i was John? Um, i was a comedy writer i was writing for spitting image so um oh amazing so, so right across all of this then yeah going on. yeah so um i just started actually on that as being one of the lead writers mm. on the show i was still, still 20 i was 27 or something so we did a sort of you know you know, Je Sans Frontiers with the Berlin Wall coming down and challenge Honecker and all those sort of jokes that... Uh, <laughs> I still uh, makes me laugh. I've done that joke uh, in a previous podcast, but I can't resist it. <laughs> it's a good joke. <laughs> it's a good joke. Thank you. It never got aired. But yeah, none of us saw it coming. Uh, mm. And then it all happened at once. And that was unprecedented in our lifetime. It's just something you mm. didn't imagine would ever happen. The politics of Europe had basically been the same as they've been ever since 1945. I think one of the reasons that this particular period I find so fascinating is, so I was in 1989, I would have been 12. Right. And I think that's when you first start sort of that age, you first start taking a yeah. bit of notice of the news. And I remember things like, um, now we've just been talking about this, John, I was going to say Lech Valencia. Yes. But his name, I've looked it up on the BBC pronunciation, apparently it's Valencia. Lech, how shall I say it? Lech Wałęsa. Lech Wałęsa, okay. Did you ring up the BBC pronunciation <laughs> I didn't ring them up. I Googled it. Uh, but yeah, when Lech Wałęsa. When I worked at the BBC apparently. on radio comedies, you had to ring up the pronunciation unit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you go, oh, what? Oh, is that pronunciation unit? <laughs> and you'd hear the steam coming out of their ears at the other end. Yeah. I used to think that would be quite a nice job, just sitting yeah, at the end of just the telephone, telling people how to pronounce things. That's so old BBC, isn't it, to have that sort of resources really and office. Where, Although I know. think that's still a thing. I think, yeah. I'm think i sure when I've worked on newsjacking things, yeah. when we've been doing the scripts and they've gone, oh, I'll ring up and find out how you I'll say go, that. Oh, well, they go into... Whereas now what they'll do, they'll email you a sound file with them Oh, it's all gone modern saying now. It's probably, I know. It's probably been privatised at some huge expense. <laughs> So, yeah, I, you know, I'd watch it on Newsround or whatever. And uh, it was John and, and the name Lech Wałęsa. And I can see in my head the sort of solidarity banners. And you the know, dodgy moustache. Dodgy moustache uh, and everything. It was actually a Zapata moustache. Um, it was a bit like, um, you know, the Mexican Zapata moustache. It's like revolutionaries around the world have to have the same moustache. This must be a rule. It's true. They, yeah, yeah. yeah Something to think about there. 
Maybe we should do an episode on revolutionary moustache. <laughs> Facial hair. Moustache, moustache. I never know how to say it. Look, bring up the pronunciation unit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, lovely call so, by John. So, borders have been unchanged since mm. uh, when the Soviet Union had uh, sort of occupied uh, all of Eastern Europe after the Second World War. So we had the war ended um, and the, the great losses for the Soviet Union in uh, World War Two, obviously, uh, 20 million Russians died. Yes. So at the, well, it was first the y- Yalta conference where Stalin sat down with Churchill and Roosevelt, would it have been there? That's right, Yalta, yeah, wasn't yeah. It? yeah. I think as you was before, there was one after with Attlee and Truman, but I think Yalta was before. Did it go Yalta, then Potsdam, I think? Then Milton Keynes. Yeah. Then Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> And um, that's when it sort of decided that I think Yalta was in the February. Right. The Germans, you know, by that point, they'd basically lost, even though they'd not right. surrendered. And the decisions were starting to be made about what would happen yes, and I think in those that, occupied territories afterwards. And um, the, the, the sort of Soviet Union sphere of influence, as it was called, was agreed upon. It would be, you know, Eastern Europe. I think there was a hope or a mm. presumption by Churchill and Roosevelt that Stalin would allow free elections and that they would be... <laughs> Uh, not inside some sort of Russian empire. Mm. But as the Cold War followed the real war, it became pretty clear uh, mm. what you know the future was going to be. Soviet satellite states is really all they were under yeah. one-party communist regimes. These are the countries we're talking about here. East Germany, yeah. Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, and Narnia. So, uh, always, always winter, never Christmas was Stalin's policy. Um, I think it's worth mentioning as well that obviously these were the Soviet satellite states, but you also had the Baltic states, a part of, of course, Ukraine, USSR, Belarus. Ukraine, and very soon we're we're focusing on what happened in 1989. But it was only in, in the next two years it all fell apart. Yes, really. yes, um, yes, yes. So, but we're focusing on the the Eastern European, the little Warsaw Pact countries, the Soviet bloc. And they'd had uprisings before under Soviet rule, hadn't they, Angela? Mm. They had, indeed. You had the um, uprising in Hungary in 1956, in Czechoslovakia in 1968. And what happened in those um, uprisings, in the Prague Spring and in what happened in Hungary, is obviously the Soviet forces came in, tanks, forces, and put it down with just sheer might. Yes. Um, which is why, you know, because people might think, why did it take them till 1989? Yeah. Um, particularly in places like Poland, where it was a, a Catholic country, you know, their regime didn't really suit communists. Right. Uh, the, the, the the people weren't yes. invested in in communism in the way that some others might have been. Yes, and some. Um, and I did I did read one analysis which suggested that the election of John Paul II as a Polish mm. pope. Uh, in 1978, sort of precipitated the rise in confidence of the Poles and the mm. sort of extra faith they put in their religion. Uh, I don't know if that. And Gorbachev true. knew that because Gorbachev met with the Pope. Did he? Yeah. That, uh, that would have been in... a long confession. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but we invaded Afghanistan. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think that was a real turning point in '78 right. when, uh, yeah, when John Paul was elected because that sort of reignited. Yeah. That part of the Polish mentality, you know, that yeah. Catholic, that we are Catholic. Yeah. But of course, their rising was brutally put down in uh, 1981. There was mm. uh, martial law imposed in Poland to stop uh, solidarity. There was uh, mm. thousands of arrests. And uh, uh, General Jaruzelski, I hope that's pronounced correct, 
Um, <laughs> I'll phone him up and find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's Yarrell. Yarrell. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> pronunciation I can do as soon as it goes a bit Cyrillic I'm lost um but anyway so uh, that was put down of course the city of Berlin had been divided since the uh, the wall had gone up in 60 I think um, yeah so, 61 61 okay so the whole of Europe was divided uh, with most symbolically by the Berlin Wall which Angela I have a genuine piece of oh no you don't John. it's a genuine um, piece of wall Angela my friend no, brought it back from Berlin no, no, we've all got a genuine piece of the Berlin Wall. And I have a piece all of, of the, us. I have a piece of wood from the real cross of Jesus Christ. <laughs> On its gulf, I do. So, so yes. Solidarity were the, um, just in case anyone listening doesn't know, they were the sort of trade union free. Um, it started out of protests and strikes in 1980 um, at a factory in Gdansk. The, um, is it the Lenin plant or something it was Lenin shipyard that's it former Danzig that's right the Lenin shipyard and it was it began with actually the I think this is I'm just I know I'm going into detail here John but I do think this is interesting that's just good you know about this stuff um it was and I I can't remember her last name but it's Anna it was something like Valentinova or something like that but she was a crane driver yes I read about and she was sacked because she was an activist against the regime I believe she was a Catholic activist I think a lot of them were and what then happened was because she was a she was essentially to all intents and purposes although she was an activist against the regime the optics of her were she looked like a great socialist worker woman you know she was a woman who drove a crane there's nothing much more Soviet than that you know this sort of hard tough woman uh, doing the work in a Factory Hero- that men would do, you know, heroic worker and all of that. Red flag and exactly. Looking to sum that's, it up, that's sort of why they had to let her go because they couldn't have someone who looked like the model yeah. of Soviet, you know, womanhood yeah. fighting against that very regime. So they let her go, and that was, that was that was sort of triggered that strike. Was a spark, wasn't it? And that, that, it was, yeah. and it was, it was um, like Lech Valenta. Oh, see, I'm doing it the old way. That's all right. People know who we mean. Um, he sort of got involved by accident, really, because he was a bit older and it was a load of young workers wanted to strike, but they knew they wouldn't be taken seriously. And he'd already been fired for being an activist. Yeah. And so they went and sort of talked him into getting involved. He wasn't really sure at first, yeah. but then they talked him into but he was sort a, of spearheading you know, this. And he was quite strike. a charismatic guy and smart mm. and well-organised. And he wasn't, you know, someone who was looking to rise through the Communist Party because any, if you wanted mm. to be anything in the Eastern Bloc, you had to do it via the... That via the, the Communist Party. Party, if you wanted mm. to get ahead in any career, if you wanted to, you know, and that, that, that of course lends itself to incredibly corrupt mm. systems of government. Um, so solidarity, that, that, solidarity was put down in 81, as we said, but it never yeah. went away and it was always there in the background with enormous yeah. support from the people. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to I'm going to skim across the rest of Europe, Angela, if that's all right, and we'll come yeah, back to Poland. Um, so life in the Eastern Bloc, you know, of course, varied from country to country but you know all of them as i say one party states no democracy or freedom in any sense that we take for granted no travel outside the iron curtain i mean that's the thing isn't it i think a lot of people in eastern europe not in places like romania so much but in certainly in east germany hungary they weren't starving they were employed 
uh, albeit, like you said, having to toe the party line in order to progress. And their job, but, their job was decided for them generally. And their jobs were decided for you. Went yeah. on a career path and you stuck yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, and you know, housing was um, basic but provided. Yes. Um, however, what they didn't have was freedom of movement freedom outside of. of- and, f- and freedom of thought, really, or freedom of experience. Yeah. So you, you know, art, yeah. culture, literature, education—you know—was all within the limits set by the state. Um, yeah. And you know, to be fair, uh, standards of living had gone up in, a, in the fifties and sixties in a lot of these countries, but it mm. really started to stall in the seventies and eighties. Um, yeah. And of course, people's freedom was also then curtailed by the sort of grinding struggle of everyday life: queuing for food, mm. stuck in this terrible housing. You know, mm. waiting five years for the one type of car you're allowed. I mean, what? Yeah, sort but at the end, be- you got a Trabant, John. Yeah, so so who it, would yeah. get married in a Trabant, Angela? <laughs> name name <laughs> me, me. I would. <laughs> one person. I don't know. Have I mentioned that on the podcast yeah, I think you, before? Only, I think, yeah. only when we're talking about Vlad the Impaler or the Battle of Hastings. You, you still managed to get in that you're going to get married in a Trabant. <laughs> so I think they're beautiful cars. They are. I have seen them actually. They are, they are quite something. They're sort of like. A lawnmower stuck on five with fiberglass <laughs> covers. Yeah, yeah, it's five year wait if you've got that one type of car, and you, you five years if you were lucky, more yeah, like yeah, ten. Yeah, your parents when you were born might put you on the waiting list for a Trabant. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, it's like Groucho in the olden days. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like the Groucho, it's like the Groucho Club, darling. I hasten to add, I'm not a member of the Groucho Club or any of those. Super I clubs. have been a member of the Groucho Club, but only because they gave me a free membership oh, for okay. a year. And I think I went there twice. Oh, well, there <laughs> we go. Um, so, you, so you couldn't leave for the West from uh, East Germany, especially. I mean, they did sell their troublemakers to West Germany, uh, which is a yeah, sort of... Yeah, they had a deal. Yeah, West Germany would pay hard cash for East German dissidents. That was their biggest sort of earner, wasn't it? For yeah, <laughs> to, it was. Life was very grim in the mm. East. I mean, one, you know, a, an American capitalist uh, or writer gave an image, which I, you know, obviously uh, it's not as simple as this, but he said that uh, under socialism, you queue for bread. Under capitalism, the bread queues for you. So that was mm. the, that's how the Americans saw it. Of course, um, soft left liberals like me in the Labour Party wouldn't say that this was any sort of socialism that we recognise, the sort of no. socialism that were we you know, envisaged by Marx or Engels or Tony Blair, you know, the great socialist thinkers <laughs> of our time. But uh, their socialism did make sure that everyone was employed, everyone was housed, mm. but... At the cost of freedom. At the cost of choice. freedom and choice and quality of life, really. So we get to March 1985, Angela. We, we've gone from Andropov, who you might remember us talking about in our episode on the Abel Archer yes. programme. So you had all this nuclear tension in the mid-80s. Yes. He died and was replaced by Chinenko, but Chinenko was old um, the, the, up until 1985, to be a leader of the USSR, you basically had to be almost dead. Yeah, yeah. They, seemed. Th- they measured um, your eyebrows. If anything under three inches yeah. long, you didn't get the job. <laughs> exactly. And then suddenly, in 1985, comes this young whippersnapper. 54 um, years he, old, he was. He was only 54. Oh, very big birthmark on his bald head, which, uh, was, which was a great gimmick. Was it a gift for spitting image? It was. Wasn't we, it, put a, we put a little uh, hammer and sickle on his forehead, and then, then I a, remember it. Well. And then a bit later, we changed it to the stars and stripes. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Well, he was a reformist. Yeah. You know, he'd worked his way up the ranks of the Communist Party, but he could see the benefit, shall we say, of of a free market economy to a certain extent, and working towards that. Um, which was not ever going to happen overnight in the USSR. But he also saw the benefit, I think, of working closely 
um, with the West. He had a good relationship with Reagan and then with George Bush Sr. And he had a good relationship with Margaret Thatcher. I suppose someone had to. Um, <laughs> he brought in two concepts of words that we heard a lot around this time. There was glasnost, obviously, which meant openness. And he brought in perestroika. Oh, um, perestroika. Para I, I, I must say, Angela, a pair of strikers is what Fulham could use at the moment. <laughs> she's not laughing. OK. No, she's not. No. John, so John, I, I've got to tell you, listeners, John has that joke written down it's and has been down. so excited about it. Uh, and I, uh, yeah. I've, got pause for laughter. <laughs> I've got pause for Angela's laughter and it's just not coming. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm terrible at so, following stage directions. Yeah, pair, pair of strikers, um, pause, please yourselves. So the massive Russian military presence had been there for 40 years, had been the main deterrent to people you know, seeking liberalisation mm. of their countries. There were hundreds of thousands of Russian troops in every you know, Warsaw Pact country. Uh, Warsaw yeah. Pact being the opposite of NATO, the sort of Eastern military alliance that was sort of mm. run by Moscow. So now it's 89. Who have we got on the world stage then? We've got Bush Senior. We've got Helmut Kohl is the German Chancellor and Thatcher was Prime Minister. She'd been there for 10 years. Now, it should be stressed that yeah. none of these people are the reason the Berlin Wall came down. No. Reagan, who was obviously Bush Senior's predecessor, likes to think he was because he did the tear yeah. down this wall speech. But it was two and a bit years before it actually came down. Yeah. When I went to Washington and had a tour of the sort of capital, there's a statue of Reagan in Congress there on the hill. And it's built on on uh, bits of Berlin Wall. And it's mm. and it said this is built on the Berlin on on a portion of the Berlin Wall because Ronald Reagan is responsible for the fall of the Berlin Wall. John O'Farrell, they're going, no, he's not. What are you, no, he, earth? you talking mean, about? It's ridiculous. Just because he said tear down this wall and then the wall came down, these things are completely two and a half years later, completely unconnected. I mean, the, the military buildup had an economic impact on the USSR, but that's about mm. it. It was Gorbachev was the main reason the wall came down. Bush was the uh, president by the you know by 1989. George Bush Senior. Yeah. This should we should stress. Yeah. The best thing he had done would be keep quiet the whole time because if he'd been very noisy about encouraging a revolution, it might have changed the atmosphere inside the Kremlin, weakened Gorbachev's position and might have led to a different outcome. And also the, the Western powers, it was all very well for them to say, come on, rise against this, but they couldn't intervene, whereas yes. the Soviet powers could. And that's what happened in Hungary and in Czechoslovakia to a certain extent, but particularly in the Hungarian uprising. Yes. Is, um, you know, was it Eisenhower had gone, yes. come on, you know, really encouraged the revolution and, of course, couldn't then... Turn around and help them. Faith, no. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and, and they yeah. were crushed by the Soviet forces. Yes. So some were very um, frustrated in Washington that um, Bush wasn't saying more. He did go to Poland, where he unhelpfully called Jaruzelski a force for stability. And it was like, don't, don't praise, <laughs> don't praise the military dictator, don't, idiot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then Bush... Rukiera, Lech Walesa, that's the one you want to praise. Well, pray. they went and had dinner. He went and had dinner at Lech's house with Mrs. Walesa. Mm. And it was a disaster. They did not get on, did they? No, there's a massive yeah. shouting match over dinner. I don't know if he... They didn't tell him he was vegetarian or something. But uh, no, it was, well, they brought the wrong wine. You brought red wine with fish? What were you thinking? No, apparently he wanted, uh, Lech wanted a load of uh, US aid and uh, Bush wasn't going to let it happen. Mm. So, I mean, all the way up to 1989, there were incremental challenges in different countries that in hindsight we can mm. see were sort of challenging the orthodox order. But it's when Russia didn't impose its authority that the people got bolder. And I think their reasons for not imposing authority were sort of twofold. One is perestroika and glasnost and, and yeah. the reform of Gorbachev. But also they 
remember they just they'd had the war in Afghanistan. Yes. Um, which had caused phenomenal loss of life for, yes. for Russian soldiers and really dented morale back home in the USSR. These soldiers came back wounded, were you know left in the Vietnam, streets, weren't it? cared for. It's their Vietnam, very yeah. much. Yeah. And obviously cost the USSR a lot of money for this proxy yeah. war. And yeah. they could they literally couldn't afford to fight on these other fronts they couldn't afford any more proxy wars even yeah, if mean, they wanted yeah, to yeah and i think once the the sort of insurgents in various european states realized that they weren't going to come in with the tanks again because they couldn't yeah and the, the, the economic crisis wasn't just in the soviet union in in poland in 1989 inflation was running at 500 percent the economy was in free fall and so the government felt obliged to sit down with Lacrovalenza in roundtable talks. And, and solidarity was legalised in April and it was massively popular. And you could feel the authority draining from the communist government, which was divided in itself between the hardliners and the people who saw the need for reform. Yeah. So, so then in June, Angela, tell us about the elections. Well, so they had the first free elections since the war in Poland. Now, the communists did keep most seats in the lower house. Uncontested. But only... Yeah. Uncontested because yeah. um, the I, and I can't say his name. The leader Jaroszewski, Gen- General Jaroszewski, just say, just yeah, say you know confidently I mean. like a man would. I'll, I'll, yeah, exactly, I'll, wrong, I'll let you do the confident, confident but wrong. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> he had um, brought in legislation beforehand to make sure most sixty-five percent or something of the seats couldn't be contested. Yes, but the, out of the seats that could be contested, Solidarity won most of them. And I think in one. the upper house, yeah. in the Senate, also they won... Yeah, it's um, a landslide for Solidarity. All but one yeah. of it. Yeah, so yeah. a complete landslide for, for Solidarity. Yeah, so, um, so that, there was a big shock Which was a surprise them. to them as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, so one of them had their um, neighbour, because they'd been under surveillance by the government. They'd been, a lot of them had been imprisoned, you know, after martial law was declared in 81. So after this election result, one of them was rung up by a neighbour and said, they're watching you again. There's a government car outside your house, a black limo with dark windows and it so this guy hid for a bit and then went oh oh no that's the government car taking me to work (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm part of the government now yeah what's interesting about that election of course is what was going on in china at the exactly so the very same day that a marxist government was completely rejected uh Mm. in europe thousands of miles away angela what was happening uh, Tiananmen Square was happening. Yeah, yeah very So day. on the day Poland yeah. was rejecting its communist government, the uh, students had gone into Tiananmen Square to protest and the tanks were sent in to crush that protest heavy-handedly. Yeah. And again, I think the that sort of reminded the protesters across Eastern Europe about what communist Absolutely. regimes are capable of, you know, and actually that's when they held back a little bit. I mean, obviously China was not under the uh, orbit of Gorbachev. So in no. that sense, it was a different situation. But uh, as you say, it it suddenly was a wake-up call to the mm. uh, democracy campaigners in Eastern Europe. Honecker from yeah. East Germany was sending messages of congratulations to mm. the Peking to government, the Chinese Be- Beijing, government. and uh, yeah, yeah. And urging, urging that they should do likewise. Well, you had, while you had these sort of reforms going on in USSR, you still had hardliners in Honecker in East Germany, in Ceausescu, obviously, yeah, in, yeah. in Romania. Um, you've got Castro's over in Cuba. Yeah. There's there's hardliners around still that have influence, you know. Yes. So while the, Poland was given a bit of hope, I think what happened in Tiananmen Square just reminded people that the hardliners aren't going away. 
That might be a good place to take a break. I think it could be. To see what happens in the second half of 1989 after these elections and the brutal, brutal put down of the Chinese I'll I'll tell you what happened in the second half of 1989, John. Uh, Kylie and Jason did an excellent duet. See, you were 12. I think this is starting to seep in. (laughs) This is starting to seep into the podcast. What was happening on Neighbours? We'll see you after the break. back we're talking about the revolutions in eastern europe in 1989 the demand for reform from the humble people of eastern europe they just wanted an end to leaders in little furry hats for their (laughs) communist leaders to smile sometimes when they're waving from the balcony and for them to be allowed to wear groovy western flared jeans just give us some Levi's. That's all. That's we all really they wanted. Want. So That's we, all we really want. So we had uh, August, a non-communist PM in Poland. That was the first time that had ever happened in the Eastern Bloc. A prime minister yep. who was not a communist, and you know, no tanks Huge were sent deal. in. It was a massive deal. Meanwhile, yeah. over in Hungary, perhaps the mm-hmm. least doctrinaire of the communist states, uh, the least repressive, they were proceeding with the democracy pack package. Do you know anything about this, Angela? I, this is my... I'm all about Poland and East Germany. Oh, okay. My Hungary uh, knowledge is very limited, but I know... Um, what's his name? The playwright and... Uh, oh, no, that's... No, uh, he that's, was Czech, that's Czech Republic, here, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that uh, is see, pretty basic, I isn't get, it? I know... I get, uh, I know that they... I, they wear, I know they wear berries and smoke gourwa. <laughs> no, that's France, Angela. <laughs> this is really embarrassing. My, I always get hungry in Czech... And, and the Czech Republic... Well, not the Czech... But, you know, at this you get time, Czechoslovakia mixed, up. Slovakia, right. mixed right. up in my head. All right, so well, I've, I've, I've read this book on this. By the way, the book I read for this was Revolution 1989, Fall of the Soviet Empire by Viktor Sobestin. Uh, mm. So uh, that was uh, very thorough and was a real page turner. Uh, well, all... while we're doing the book plug, shall yeah. I do mine quickly? Because yeah, I read um, The End of the Cold War by Robert Service. Yeah. Very good. But... For a Cold War sort of overview, in a really nice way, um, it, there's, you know, Bridget Kendall did a series on Radio 4. She was a, a correspondent in Moscow during this time. Yeah. And she did a series on Radio 4 called Stories from the Big Freeze, which was brilliant. Oh, wow. And there's now a book of it. And what's really nice about it is it's looking at the bigger picture, but also like individuals, oh, yeah. ordinary people's stories. And it's wonderful. You can get it on Audible. And what's it called as again? Well, it's called um, Stories from the Big Freeze is the Radio 4 series. It's Bridget Kendall. Anyway, look her up on Audible or whatever and you'll find it. But it's just, they're really interesting stories. And they're only, you know, sort of short chapters and just right. a good overview. We're in Hungary in 1989. So, it- yes. In January, the parliament adopted a democracy package, which included trade union, pluralism, freedom of association, assembly of the press. Um, they recognised uh, that the hero of the 56 uprising, which I'm going to have a go at pronouncing, Angela, Imri Nagy. I'm just going to say <laughs> it quickly. That, that looks right. Yeah, it looks right. I'm just saying, look how I say that. And that was, of course, Imri Nagy. Look, just See, that's the thing. You just got to do it without doubt, haven't you? Yeah. I can't. I, I would have gone Imri Nagy. Well, of course, everyone knows, um, everyone yeah, knows no. about Imri Nagy. Imri Nagy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but his his he was reburied the who was you know the the, the, the martyr of the fifty six revolution, uh, but with a sort of national ceremony, massive uh, turnout, a televised national, peaceful, all peaceful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now the thing about Hungary was that their border, which was based at the Iron Curtain, with their border mm. with Austria was not that well maintained. Mm. Uh, it was expensive to patrol and keep guard. Alarm! They had alarms all the way along it, and it kept bloody going off. There was as a fox. <laughs> oh, as a fox. Oh, what is it now? It's a squirrel. One time a bear, a bear set it off. They, they thought, I didn't know we had any bears. That's amazing. We got bears. I thought we killed them all off. 
And it's uh, sort of understandable, is it? That border would be because obviously Austro-Hungary, yeah, it, yeah. you know, historically. historically, yeah. Um, so it yeah, we've got, one of the, we've, got one of, that... we've got one of the Habsburgs turning up in a minute. Wow, <laughs> how far back are we going? <laughs> yeah, I know he's turned up in the wrong century. So East Germans obviously could not get over the Berlin Wall, but mm. now the lucky ones who could get from West Germany to Hungary, then they could get into Austria. This was done, but via something called the Pan-European Picnic. Sounds lovely, John. I know. This was the I love I- this. this was the idea of Otto von Habsburg. Here he is. So he would have been, I suppose he's the guy who would have been king stroke emperor mm. if it hadn't been for the First World War. He must have been getting on a bit by now. <laughs> well, in, in German, if you see a German or Austrian name and it has von in it, that means yeah. you're related to royalty. Oh, okay. Well, I think he yeah. was royalty. I think he was the top of the royals. Um, yeah. But they just didn't have uh, monarchy anymore, obviously. No. But him and the PM of uh, Hungary, they, they um, cooked up this idea of a little everyone going and having a picnic by the border and just slipping over it. Um, yeah. oh, and oh, uh, So it was like, uh, yeah, kids, come on, we're going for a picnic. Bring all your possessions, your passports <laughs> and the family silver. Put them all in the Trabant. And, um, uh, you know, and so it was, uh, it was the, got called the Trabby Trail. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, hundreds of trabbies were driving uh, in the summer of 89. Uh, there's in that, that Bridget Kendall book I was yeah. just talking about, there's um, a lovely interview with a woman who was, I believe, a teacher. Yes. And she was very loyal to the party in East yeah. Germany. Right. And um, while this was going on, the trabby trailer, the people just sort of pouring through the Hungarian Austra- yeah. Austrian border. She was there on holiday and sort of going, no, I'm not doing it. No, no. And she tried avoiding getting swept up. Oh, in really? The, she didn't want to get sort of, She was like, no, I want to go back home to where my job and my family are. Well, I, don't, was a, I don't want to go west. Well, there was a moral <laughs> dilemma for the East Germans because it was like, yeah. this was all anyone was uh, talking about that summer in, in East Germany was the exodus. Uh, 30,000 yeah. East Germans got to the west. I remember at the time, I remember thinking, I don't think they can put this back in the bottle now. This is the, so yeah. unprecedented. But... For people who were teachers or nurses or doctors or whatever, mm. to, to leave all your workmates and to leave the kids you were teaching or to leave the patients you treated mm. for a better life for yourself in the West, that was a moral dilemma. And a lot of them struggled with it, understandably, but they might mm. you know, want a better life or they might have, have relations in the West. So it was, it was not an easy thing to decide to do, just to mm. quit where you'd grown up. Yeah, and also some, some people in the East had a better life under the regime than outside it in some ways and maybe we will do an episode on this sort of nostalgia and yes um the the particularly if you were working class and you know you had a job yeah you weren't homeless you weren't a drug homeless and okay you didn't have freedom of movement but the argument on the other side of that is under a capitalist yeah uh, regime if you're poor you can't afford to go anywhere anyway yeah absolutely you know yeah so So actually their lives didn't improve necessarily which is why and i think some people could foresee that maybe or or believed in the socialist ideal sort of knew they weren't really living it but they were nearer to it than they would be under a capitalist regime and they'd had that propaganda all their life as well of course so you know after 30,000 had got to the west the uh, the East Germany closed the border with Hungary, their border. So, but Czechs were still pouring in. In Czechoslovakia, the true history of the 68 uh, rising was finally acknowledged. You know, it was a popular uprising, not a foreign intervention. Well, and, that's because uh, the, the propaganda was that it was Western yeah. powers had sort of, yeah. it was a fake uprising. And yes. Suddenly, 
that wasn't the case. <laughs> so, so in Czechoslovakia, German citizens were allowed to leave and they, they, they finally decided that these people were leaving. They couldn't stop them going, but the East German government tried to make out that they were expelling them. And that they were, so they said to their, they would said to the guards, you must collect their identity papers on the train. And so all the people leaving just threw their identity papers on the floor and watched the guards pick them up. It was like, there. It's such yeah, a lovely Who's move, got the power here? Yeah. Because Honecker at this point is desperately trying to cling on yes. to, to hardline power. He, um, well, the game was up for Honecker yes. pretty quickly after that. <laughs> you know, once they closed the border with Hungary, the protests in Germany were growing. You had in Leipzig, which is where big Stasi headquarters were and things. You had hundreds of thousands of people on the street. Honecker um, had in- instructed his troops to move against the demonstrators with a shoot to kill policy. They was expecting a massacre, but the soldiers stood up and refused. Um, wow. Honecker obviously had laboured, again, Within his memory, the Czech uprising and the yeah. Hungarian uprising assumed Soviet troops would come to his aid, would help quell the uprising. But of course, Gorbachev, not interested. He was very keen that Russian troops should never be used against Eastern European citizens. That was a big deal Absolutely. for him. Absolutely. So the game was so up. Game, so that was it for Honecker. He, yeah. His cabinet voted him out of the presidency. In fact, he voted himself out of the presidency as well because he believed that all decisions should be... Unanimous. That's that hilarious, isn't communists. it? He looked around <laughs> and saw everyone else put up their hand. He went, "Well, I can't go against the rest of my committee. I think, I think he should go as well." Oh, it's me. It's me. I think I should oh, go. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. Yes, okay. I'll, I'll go. And he was replaced by Egon Krenz, who was a reformist, obviously still a communist, but yeah. sort of much more in line with the, the yeah. Gorbachev yes. ideology. So by November, you've got half a million people on the streets in East Berlin. And then we come right. to the 9th of November, Angela. Anything significant about the 9th of November? Schicksaltag, I think you'll find it's called. Um, I'm, I'm sure we've covered that before. Is in that the podcast. German for Angela's birthday? It's German for Angela's <laughs> birthday. It's my birthday. It's known as Schicksaltag, Day of Fate, because right. in Germany, quite a lot of big old things happened. Yes, Crystal Nacht. On 9th of November. Crystal Nacht. I think we've done this um, in previous podcasts. We but, have you know, indeed. So, yeah, yeah people yeah. have heard this. But. But yes, this is when uh, there's half a million people on the streets in East Berlin. And what's decided then, uh, you've got Egon Krenz has taken over from Honecker. He's a reformer. So they've decided that they're going to allow uh, free movement. Yeah. Um, and then what happens, which is just, this is so farcical. It's wonderful. In a televised sort of a press conference, almost, a representative of the party Gunther. is asked... The, Gunter, Gunter Schabowski. Yeah. And he's asked, they're going to allow freedom of movement. When when is that going to come into effect? And he said, because he hadn't been properly briefed, he said, well, immediately, without delay, they're in effect. That's it. Um, oh, no, disaster. And of course, <laughs> at this point, the border guards have not been briefed. No yeah. one's been briefed because it wasn't supposed to happen yet. Yes. And the minute he says that on live television... Crowds start surging towards the checkpoints on the wall because right. now, as far as they're concerned, the gates are open. It's free movement. The gates are open. Yeah. The government are trying to backtrack. They're going, oh, no, you need permission. No, it's a short visit only, limited currency. Yeah. And loads of people go, sorry, I can't hear you, mate. I'm just, I can't that, hear you. I'm just, what, I'm, eight, I'm what? just going to West Berlin to get a video recorder. <laughs> oh, and of course, what happens very quickly after that is the Stasi, the secret police, go, 
oh shit, and start heading to their headquarters and burning everything. Oh god, so they know that they know <laughs> this is the end of the and regime. Shredding everything because this and then is it. Bits of wall get ripped off. They start to take pickaxes to the wall. It's all very dramatic, including yep. the genuine bit of wall that John has. John's genuine bit of wall. Yep, genuine. Yeah, <laughs> and yep. um, and nobody told Gorbachev this was happening. He he woke up next morning and they said, uh, "Morning, morning, Mikhail." Uh, and in the papers, oh yes, the Berlin Wall oh, came down. Yeah, little <laughs> thing, yes, <laughs> little thing. We meant to mention it. You know that massive symbol of East and West. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. It's <laughs> over. Yeah. Something to do with David Hasselhoff. Not sure. Something what exactly, Angela's but, birthday. It was Francis' yeah, birthday. Yeah, my thirteenth birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so the new government resigned. There were free elections followed in March 1990. Mm. By October 90, I know we're jumping ahead a bit, but that was when there was one mm. Germany. Germany was unified. Unforeseen. Unimaginable. I, you know. Absolutely unimaginable. Thatcher very much against yes. unification. Yes. Um, I know Bush was sort of pro unification. Yeah. Mitterrand in France was. Well, he was pro-unification as long as it took... He wanted it to happen over a period of a decade. Right. But, I mean, these are people who remembered the war. You yes, know, these yes. are people who... They, they didn't trust Germany, really. Didn't know. trust Germany. And so Thatcher was very anti... Germany, to be fair, had, had, had invaded France three times in sort of 70 years, in the yeah. 1871, 1914 and 1940. So, you yeah. know, the, the, forgive the French for being a little bit you know, worrying yeah. about what came over the Rhine. So Germany was the sort of the crux of it all. But um, mm. Poland had taken 10 years. Uh, East yep. Germany had taken 10 weeks. Czechoslovakia, yeah. it went in 10 days. It all happened. Yeah. Now, now the dam had burst. There were demonstrations in Prague and the government did a statement saying they'd not allowed the Republic to be threatened by these demonstrations. And everyone outside <laughs> Prague went, oh, are there demonstrations the demonstrations? <laughs> oh, we didn't know until <laughs> you told us. Remember, you yeah. control the media. Oh, shit, we're the ones in control the media. <laughs> So, so suddenly, uh, Vaclav Havel, the playwright, became the figurehead yes. for the revolution. Who on earth would put a writer in charge of? Oh, John! I, yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll have, I mean... the, I'll have this uh, new constitution for you. Uh, it's going to be another six months. I'm a bit stuck on the ending. All I can think about is that Douglas Adams quote about deadlines. Yeah. Yes. You know, I love the sound they make as they whiz past. That's exactly right. So the Czech Revolution, it was actually a much more sort of artistic revolution. It was called the Velvet Revolution. Uh, yeah. They had uh, street performances, music in the streets, art. They sat on the street and sang Beatles songs, the Czechs did. Mm, I'd love, I'd love I to know which ones one. they sang. Yellow Submarine. <laughs> oh, my God, no. <laughs> Octopus's Garden. <laughs> That's the last one. <laughs> Revolution number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Um, I think what's, what's interesting about... We've now got Poland, yeah. East Germany and Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia and... You know, not a single Soviet bullet has been fired. Absolutely, this is the which key. Which was point. unthinkable, unthinkable. Yeah, yeah. That that they wouldn't come rushing to suppress those uprisings. In Czechoslovakia, you've got the actors going on strike. What's my motivation, what? darling? <laughs> Would anyone notice if actors <laughs> went on strike? I, I, well, you're you're, a, you're an actor and you want uh, democracy and freedom. No, I'm still not feeling it, darling. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was they had general strikes uh, for two hours. Between 12 and 2. That's uh, very organised. Yes, in, in France, that's just called lunch, isn't it? <laughs> So the Velvet Revolution, it was a non-violent transition of power, which, again, unthinkable that it would be non-violent. Yeah. There was one little bit of violence here, which I think you might be coming on to. Well, on the 17th of November 1989, riot police did suppress a peaceful student demonstration in Prague a day after a similar demonstration passed without incident in Bratislava. Um, but there's controversy over whether anyone did die that night. Moderate communists felt that they might fake the student death 
in order to oust the hardliner communists. Um, and that event in itself sparked a series of demonstrations. Yeah, it didn't work, basically. So I think there's evidence that this yeah. did happen, that the that they, the moderate communists said, let's make out that a student's been killed. That'll bring everyone out on the streets. And then we, the moderate communists, will take over from the hardline so, communists. And all the people on the streets went, no, we're not having any no, communists. We so, don't want communists. Have yeah, you yeah, not got yeah, the message? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. basically, there were 200,000 protesters on the streets of Prague. Wow. And then it got up to a half a million. And they're all waving their car keys, which I think Amazing. is fantastic. That must have been imagine the sound of half a million people waving their car yeah. keys so the, the idea was bye bye that's one hell of a swingers party it is, that. It? <laughs> i don't think that's what they were suggesting angela oh sorry <laughs> that's just me yeah yeah so the idea is bye bye time for you to go you know with your keys yeah so dubcek the hero of 68 was allowed out but it's 21 years have passed and he was like good because as i was saying we must reform socialism <laughs> too late mate we're past that point we're done with socialism <laughs> So to keep him happy, they they made him the speaker of the new parliament. So they didn't, you know, yeah. they gave him a job. They were very diligent demonstrators. Yes. So they did their eight hour shift at work and then joined the protest in the evening. Yeah. So very conscientious, not like the French on no, strike. No, no. <laughs> no, and this is in freezing weather, of course. It was snow and ice and they were every night yeah. you know, taken to the streets. Yeah, November, uh, December. Yeah. So, and then in Bulgaria, I'll just touch on that quickly. They, they had yeah. tried to save themselves by stirring up hatred against the minority Turks. Uh, the communist government it, had, yeah. Yes, uh, they ex- they expelled them, damaged their economy, idiots. Um, always <laughs> the way. And the Belgian Revolution came with a sort of ecological. Uh, Sorry, I think you said Belgian. Fucking hell, that's quite. Funny. <laughs> Leave that the in. Belgian the Belgian Revolution is something else entirely. The Belgian Revolution is yet to happen. There's still, you know, no, still no shortage of mayonnaise on the chips. <laughs> <laughs> the Bulgarian revolution came with a sort of ecological uh, flavour. Huge protests about damage to the environment. And again, they ousted the hardline communists in an internal coup and that didn't satisfy the crowds. Yeah. Well, uh, I think people saw what was happening at this point in the yeah. USSR and thought, oh, well, if we just get rid of the hardliners and have a, you know, Gorbachev yeah. allies, we'll be all right. But it, yes. it was too far gone by then for communism in exactly. Eastern Europe. Exactly. The same thing in the most hardline of all Eastern European countries. Mm. Uh, most of this had happened without major bloodshed, as you said, Angela. But until until we get to the climax of the revolutions in 1989, which came up, we're all out buying our Christmas presents. Angela's yep. still believing in Father Christmas, writing a note on the chimney. <laughs> Thirteen, I hope not. <laughs> but in Romania, no wonder I got beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot. In Romania, the worst of them all, uh, Nicolae Ceausescu was the mm-hmm. dictator, and people in most of Romania hadn't been allowed to hear about these revolutions. Uh, mm. Just a bit of background on Ceausescu. He was born in Wallachia. Oh, that rings a bell, John. Vlad the Impaler, wasn't it? It's our, Vlad the Impaler was Wallachia. One of our first podcasts. Uh, Nikolai's dad had also been called Nikolai and also named three of his sons Nikolai, apparently because he's too drunk to remember that he already called them. <laughs> so he kept, kept, so he had three sons called Nikolai. Uh, this Nikolai had been a compromise candidate for uh. leader, initially, initially quite feted by the West. Well, seems to be quite liberal. Yeah. Got an honorary knighthood. Ah, oh, him and Bob Geldof. nice, Gildorf. isn't it? Yeah. Him and Bob Geldof. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he went on a trip to North Korea, John, didn't he? Yeah. And oh, 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 got a bl- taste of what a cult of personality might It blew feel his like. mind. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. blew his mind. And, yeah. and the cult of personality is exactly what he then... Yeah. Cultivate. I think it was in 71 he went to North Korea okay, okay. and came back. And that's when things started to really change. Yes, and unusually for the communists, his wife was very involved in it 
as right. well. Like she Ele- became Eleanor. part of the Eleanor yeah. became part of the cult of personality, which was a very sort of you know Eva Peron sort of thing or yes, a, yes. a South American sort of thing, but not a European thing yes, really. Yes. So he um, would he would have random things that he would take against. He took against yoga, and suddenly the secret police were beating up yoga teachers. To be fair, I think that's I think <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's game. what you can live with that one. Yeah, I can live with that. <laughs> okay, okay. Do the cat and salute the sun. And... Oh, I, 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 I've tried yoga, John. I've really tried, and I really want it to work. But every time I go, I'm, I think they're taking the piss. Where they it's tell me to up. just re- relax your knees. What are you talking about? But <laughs> thank, anyway, thank you, caller. Um, <laughs> it was illegal to have a typewriter in Romania without providing samples of the typeface. This is a common theme in East Germany. If you've seen the film. Um, Des Lebens des Anders, um, Lives of Others. Yes. Hiding a typewriter is a very key point in that. There's a whole film. book on the Romania, isn't there, called, I, think, I bet you Very the typewriter. I have indeed. Carmen Bougan, is it? Yes. This was recommended to us by one of our listeners. Uh, so it was. Thank you. And, and for once, a book was recommended to us by one of our listeners, and I was able to go, I read that years oh, ago. Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> um, but no, it is a really, a really, uh, if like me, you like reading about you know, rather than just the politics of the situation, but what people's lives were like. It's yes. a really good overview of that and harrowing. Yes. But, but yeah, burying the typewriter. I mean, cool. it's worth saying that uh, women had the worst deal of anyone in Romania. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, by this point in the 80s as well, late 80s, austerity had been brought in in Romania. They had huge debts with Western banks. Yes. They borrowed lots of money from. Um, so... You know, everybody was suffering, but really bad for women. He really wanted to increase the population yes. in Romania. Uh, so abortion was banned. There was a lot of pressure on women to have children and they were punished if they didn't. And this is why once the Ceausescu's are gone, I think the real horror of the number of children in Romanian orphanages, and I I, I mean, they're burned onto my brain, those images on the news. Yes. Even today, Romanian orphanages, people send, you know, yes. food parcels. And, but yeah. I remember particularly in the early 90s, that was a really big thing yeah, absolutely absolutely orphans. so you know backstreet abortions and uh yeah uh, but even uh, the cab chassis own daughter saw the truth and tried to run away with her mm. boyfriend so uh, not only did they stop her but they closed down the whole university she'd been to as she punishment for them it. yeah, yeah. Ceausescu filled his government with family members obviously you'd never get that in a western democracy <laughs> like the usa so uh, state yeah. tv it was so bad state tv even lied about the weather because public buildings had to have the heating on if it fell below 10 degrees the weather forecast would always go and tomorrow it will be 11 degrees like it was today and there's snow mm, outside <laughs> ice on the lakes you know they, they'd always lie about that even he was building a massive people's palace uh, whilst his people had no heating or bread now, some of the Hungarian Romanians on the border did hear the news coming over. Well, you had these group of Romanians, didn't you? Hungarian Romanians in Transylvania, I think it yes, was. Yes, yes. In a place who, called Timosara. That's right. And and initially, I think they were allowed movement to visit Hungary and then that was stopped. And then they were very much marginalised and they were not allowed to speak their own language. Yes, they were um, oppressed. They were, they were, they repressed. were repressed. But there was a, one of their um, clergymen was sacked. Massive demonstrations followed in Timosara. And, yeah. they, and they demonstrated with the Romanian flag with a hole cut in the middle where the uh, hammer and sickle was or whatever the socialist symbol was. And this became very much a symbol of the revolution, these flags mm. with a hole in the middle stripe cut out. It reminds me of um, 
going on demos where the SWP give out the banners and you always tore off the bit across the top which said Socialist Workers Party. And you just <laughs> held the thing with that little torn strip on the top. Everyone recognised that from the old days. Uh, so what's what do you do if the whole people well, the are turning against you? The thing is, when you're Nikolai Ceausescu and Elena Ceausescu, you can't quite believe they're turning against you because they love you, remember? Right, of course. The people love you. So what you do is you go out on your balcony and you talk to them. A massive crowd. You have a massive... To a massive crowd of adoring subjects. Didn't because go... that's what you've always done, right? Yeah, but then this was a carefully selected crowd from factories and stuff, but the people at the yep. back started to chant Tiamoswara, Tiamoswara, which is the town where the revolution had started. Mm. And you can see this on YouTube. It's absolutely it's incredible. It's beautiful. I watched it yeah. again this yeah. afternoon because yeah. his face is... He can't believe it. Incredulous. He just cannot... And he's, wa- that- he's waving his hands, going, no, 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 this isn't what you do. You, sh- you shut but up. But he looks talk. so pathetic. Yeah, absolutely. It does. He looks it's like, like a pathetic old man. It's really It's great to see. Satisfying. And, um, you know, you can see the moment he realised the game is up. No put-downs. See, if he'd done a comedy store, he might have had some... You know? You would have you would have dealt with that, Angela. Oh, I would have dealt with that. No trouble. All you do with a heckle, John, yeah. it's really easy, right? All you do when someone heckles you, you go, sorry, what was that? And when they then have to repeat it in a silent room, they realise what wankers they sound. I remember go, my first oh, beer. Nothing. <laughs> That's what they should have done. I think they would have yeah. carried on saying it, if I'm honest. <laughs> so riots broke out in Bucharest. And now, you know, we said it was uh, without bloodshed, these revolutions. Mm-hmm. But in, in Romania, there was a lot of bloodshed. A thousand people died yeah. in this revolution. The police began yeah. firing on the demonstrators, street fighting. Uh, but people held the yeah. streets overnight. So what did they do? He blamed his minister of defence and had him shot. Your loyalist right-hand man, blame him, have him shot. Uh, or was it suicide? But Yeah, was it? Funnily enough, what happens when you shoot your minister of defence? The army get a bit knocked yeah, yeah. So, about so, that. So at that moment, the army turned against him. All the soldiers who were supposed to be putting down the um, revolution switched sides. They took their magazines out of their guns and waved them at the crowd. Uh, that's a bit mm. with bullets. I didn't take out chat or take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for explaining that to me, John, what a magazine is. <laughs> so, so this is when Ceausescu runs to the roof and there's a helicopter waiting for him and the crowd see the helicopter take off and the crowd storm the party HQ and they storm the yeah. television stations during their live broadcasts. That's right. And, and at this point, tanks have turned on the palace. They've yeah. escaped. You still had some security forces yes. who were still, sporadically shooting at the crowd. Still quite chaotic. Um, and, and then you've got this TV broadcast with suddenly people running in on the newsreaders and going, Ceausescu's gone. And they're all going, oh, we're, we're supposed to be reading the script of the news. And yeah. all, it's all, I remember it, it's quite amazing. And Ceausescu, of course, still, because, you know, being a deluded communist leader as they are, believes that he's in charge. He starts yes. issuing orders um even though he's now a prisoner of the army he's still trying to issue orders to yes them. and elena's saying how dare you talk to the commander-in-chief like that i, mean, <laughs> I they, think yeah, you're fine yeah so um, he's, he, as you say he's a prisoner of the army they kept him hidden in some barracks in the north of the country where the helicopter landed for a couple of days yep made nikolai and elena lie on the ground you know in in hiding yep. meanwhile he's trying he, to bribe them into yeah, he's, um, just helping let me, him let me talk to people on the tv that'll turn things around yeah, I'll do my four-hour <laughs> my four-hour speech on socialism. They love that. <laughs> yeah, so violence continuing in Bucharest, and they're thinking there's only one way out of this to stop this. We've got to deal yeah, with the okay. notion. Got to deal with the notion of reinstating Ceausescu. So on Christmas mm. Day, 1989, he was flown to the north of the country in a couple of helicopters. And it's, you know, and his wife's going, "Did you what? Did you, what have you got me for Christmas, dear?" It's like it's not now, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get it later. Do- 
it was Christmas Day, wasn't it? They had a yeah. hasty trial in some yeah, barracks somewhere. That's right. They brought sort of, yeah, like a prosecuting council and a defence council. And a firing squad. Yeah, yeah. Who are those guys there? Oh, that's that's oh, the firing, firing squad. Don't yeah. worry about them. Oh, it's right. going to be a fair trial. Uh, don't you worry. Yeah, just we just had a firing squad just in case. You know. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just happen to be passing. We invite them in. <laughs> I'm getting, bad, I'm getting a bad feeling about this, Eleanor. <laughs> so he's, um, Nikolai's all like, I do not recognise this court, you know. Doesn't really matter at this point yes, you do. what I was you recognise. I was the bloke in the helicopter, you must remember. <laughs> so he was found guilty. So, they took him outside, yeah. the two of them, and they were they were shot. They were, the firing squad were mm. told to shoot them in the chest only because their faces need to be recognised for the newspapers and the broadcast. So the crowd knew yep. there was no sign of him coming back. Yeah. Absolutely. But of course, once they were shot and then the other soldiers rushed in and fired at the fallen bodies, which I think is a really powerful symbol of how much they were hated. Absolutely. It was a sort of free fall um, after that. That was the sort of dramatic climax of the Christmas Day. But the New Year's Eve in Berlin was mm. like this massive party. It was like the, yeah. end, the end of the Cold the Brandenburg War Brandenburg Gate party. Yeah. It was actually a terrifying crush, by, according to anyone who has been there. But, right. they, but the news were like, this amazing atmosphere. Everyone's going, I really am worried I'm going to get crushed to death. But it's like, this is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Cold War was over, basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, a year and a bit later, so was the Soviet Union. Yeah, but that, I think we will do an episode on that maybe yeah. one day because yes. that's a... As you say... All I, the, all I was on holiday in Wiltshire. I remember it was oh, August really? 1991 and I remember watching the news. My, I was on a holiday with my auntie and uncle and it was like, oh my God, this is a coup. I remember going down the... Um, Oxford Street, somebody was selling Marxism today. I'm thinking, God, a bit. <laughs> yes, but it's, I think you might have to leave those in your garage or those copies, mate. You've got to have a while. I mean, they will say that on the left in England, right up to this point, there were still people who held up the Soviet Union as what socialism should be. I remember mm. when, I, when I was a young student factory worker, I had to join the Transport General Workers Union. There's this bloke saying, you know, Soviet Union is the answer. Moscow, we must follow Moscow. And that's, I've got my instructions from Moscow. It's like, bloody hell, mate. <laughs> yeah. Get alive. If you read um, Alexei Sales. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good book, actually. You know, his parents were... Yeah, strong, they, they went on Soviet holidays, you know. And, yes, that's right. That's why he's called Alexei. Yeah, uh, which, to you know, being a... I was brought up in a working-class Tory family. Oh, uh, were you? Um, wow. Yeah, so the thought of, of a sort of... Soviet being yeah. brought up with, with that as a positive thing. It was always such a negative thing in my upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, being a child when all this happened, it yes. was... Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of dodgy history as people claiming credit for the Berlin Wall coming down. A friend of mine wrote a BBC radio play about Bruce Springsteen doing a concert in the West and the young people hearing it. And and soon the Berlin Wall would come down, you know, and... <laughs> Was it was it John Paul II? Was it was it Reagan saying tear down this? Was it wall? David Hasselhoff? Yes, and when bloody Thatcher died, it was all um, uh, without her, the Cold War wouldn't have been ended. It's like no, it's Gorbachev. Bullshit. Gorbachev is the reason, the number yeah. one reason. Yeah, he chose Absolutely. not to interfere, and the, and it was the economic situation in the USSR. We had talks of the end of history, capitalism mm. as one. Yeah, you had this period from 1989 to 91 end of Cold War, right through to 9-11, where we really thought there was no... No, no enemies. No enemies, no yeah. big conflict, no... No global division. And it wasn't division. until the, the Middle East went, uh, excuse us, we're still here. Yeah, the war on terror. <laughs> you, so. caused, you caused a mess here, you haven't sorted this out yet. The end of the Cold War and the beginning of the war on terror was this narrow sort of decade. Mm. 
that we had. But I mean, although during that period, of course, there was Yugoslavia and yes, yes, uh, you know, Serbia and uh, Kosovo and all of that. So it oh, wasn't. That, without... Yeah, there was no, there was a very a messy aftermath. But in terms of yeah. global blocks, you know, in the sense of yeah. a, a global threat, uh, no, there was a very messy the Chechnya. There was you know all of that. Yeah, but. You know, we look back and think, oh, it was a peaceful revolution. And it was in the most part peaceful. But the people setting out and demonstrating the streets didn't know. Those ordinary European citizens, for them to rise up against their governments, you know, with Tiananmen Square happening on the other side of the world, they didn't know whether they were going to get shot or tortured. And, you know, the likelihood was that they were, as far as they were concerned. Yeah, but, and some were killed. But but Europe was transformed and, and, and life was improved for millions of people. Um, so we should raise a glass, I think, to the to the ordinary people of Eastern Europe the arc of the Absolutely. universe is long, but it bends towards justice. On we that hope. bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, we will leave you. We will. A couple of Christmas specials coming up. We have, indeed. We're going to have a couple of Christmas specials. So you'll have one Christmas week. You'll have one at the end of the year. And then we're going to take a little tiny break in January. Yep. Um, and we'll be back at the end of January. So look out for our two Christmas specials. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your tweets and things. Do tweet us on at We Are History Pod. And it's at We Are History Pod, John. Oh, God, I keep doing Stop that. Stop tweeting probably. that poor band that, that don't band. exist anymore that are called We Are History. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I feel bad having uh, led on this one, Angela, when you're the expert on Eastern Europe. Oh, I, I, I'm really not, as yeah, we've learned. Are, but, it's just it's just the thing I'm nerdy about. But it's uh, very interesting to read about, and I hope we illuminated mm. some people who um, who didn't know as much about it. I'm going off to have another look at my genuine piece of Berlin Wall. Um, <laughs> as you can see just what above where it says Made in China, you can see it's genuine. <laughs> if people do want um, reading on this stuff, there's... Um, yeah, burying the typewriter, we've said. Stasi Land, it's worth mentioning that again. I know we mention it every now and then, but it's such a good book. Uh, Red Love by Maxim Leo is good. Um, they, they, yeah, How I Did It by Margaret Thatcher. All of these. <laughs> <laughs> That's all from us. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.